Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better healthcare and a better healthcare system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman founder of the DrScore.com website, where you can rate your doctor and look up doctor ratings. Well, the biggest problem with our healthcare system is incredible cost. Sure, there's quality issues, but for the most part, we get great quality. But do we get good value for our dollar? Well, in today's program, we're going to be talking about value-based insurance design with Dr. Mark Fendrick. Dr. Fendrick is professor in the Division of General Medicine in the Department of Internal Medicine and Department of Health Management and Policy, and he's co-director of the University Center for Value-Based Insurance Design. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us what, what, what is this concept of value-based insurance design? Well, thanks again for having me on to talk about value-based insurance design, or VBID. And I'll, I'll tell you, Steve, that the motivation behind this concept was the fact that uh, a group of clinicians started to see a real problem in that patients were telling us that their health plans were not covering uh, very richly uh, those high-value medical services that their physicians and other clinicians were begging them to do, such as diabetic eye exams, taking certain medications uh, for chronic conditions like asthma and heart failure, uh, going to the laboratory to get your INR checked for, or other monitoring for blood tests. Or, uh, or INR, what's that for, clotting? Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, or, or, or simple screenings and, and counseling. And uh, what we decided to do and looked at most health plans around the country and saw they had kind of like a one-size-fits-all design in the fact that every doctor visit, every diagnostic test, and every drug within the tier of a formulary cost the same even though uh, everyone would acknowledge that to see a cardiologist after a heart attack may be more valuable than to see a dermatologist for acne I could barely see. Well, those of you know there's lots of really important reasons to see all subspecialists, including your own. It, it became obvious that instead of this one-size-fits-all design, if we had one that was clinically nuanced, that being that the higher-value doctor visits, diagnostic tests, and drugs would be easier for patients to get, and uh, thereby lowering barriers of financial and financial type would increase the utilization of these things we beg our patients to do. Over the last 10 years, uh, this intuitive concept has uh, been widely received by a broad uh, group of stakeholders from management to labor to Republicans to Democrats to governors to AARP and the AMA. And we were really pleased to see basic VBID components included in the Affordable Care Act, uh, that being the national health care reform signed by the president about a year ago. Many plans, I think, have used the idea of 
making people pay more um, for things as opposed to less. It, it, uh, you know, relativity being what it is, I'm not sure there's really a difference. But um, so, so value-based health plans is not about having patients pay more for things that are not valuable? Well, there, there have been very rare instances of health plans and, and large companies that insure themselves uh, using the VBID premise to make things more difficult to get. As you well know and your listeners well know, and you mentioned this is something that's been going on uh, for decades, uh, the idea of uh, having these tiered formularies, the idea of having these tight networks, prior authorization and step therapy to get to certain things. We just wanted to make sure that health plans moving forward in this transformed healthcare system understood that there are certain things that uh, the medical research community and you as a physician know are critical for patients to do to uh, enhance or preserve their health. And in those situations where the evidence and science is so strong, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever uh, to use any type of negative mechanism to deny uh, those patients those high-value services. So, for instance, the fact that a patient of mine with a mother and aunt and a sister with breast cancer has to pay anything for a mammogram, uh, the fact that patients who have hip replacement therapy have to pay large sums of money to see the physical therapist. And as I mentioned earlier, the patients taking complicating medical therapy needing to go to get their blood, blood test to monitor how well their drugs are working it makes no sense to actually put barriers in front of them and said they should be incented to allow us, the clinicians, to see those interventions we see most valuable to be carried out by our patients. Okay. I, I like this concept. I, I think about the world of psoriasis because I, I see a lot of patients with that. And um, I've always wondered if, if insurance companies wouldn't be better off removing the co-payment requirements for having um, phototherapy, ultraviolet light treatments, which is a terrific treatment for the disease and costs dramatically less than a $20,000 a year biologic. And so I've you've wondered... The, you, sorry, Steve. Uh, yeah, so I, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, sorry, Steve. You've hit the nail on the head in the fact that you have outlined not only maybe that you would say psoriasis therapy may be more valuable to a payer or, more importantly, a patient... Uh, than, say, treatment of a rash or acne. But you've gone one step further in what we work very uh, closely in value-based insurance design, that even in a particular clinical area, uh, we may find certain patients or certain therapies that should be encouraged uh, one over another. And that encouragement should be driven by the amount of health these interventions produce as opposed to what they cost or how much money they make. Uh, before we talk about psoriasis, of course, many people know about the issue of coronary stents for heart disease. And when you uh, talk about the incentives that a cardiologist might have, let alone their, their training and their own personal biases, if you're making $1,000 for a procedure and $14 for prescribing medicine, when you're really not sure uh, which one might work better, you can understand how incentives work in the wrong direction. The same holds through for the psoriasis example you you put in place, and it's not like the old days where health plans should just encourage people to go to the low-cost intervention. What's very enlightening about moving forward with value-based insurance design is that many of these large companies and health plans that have embraced the VBID concept 
understand that there is a lot to be said about the amount of health we get for the money spent. And, and if your example of phototherapy produces uh, equal or greater amounts of cure uh, than a higher cost intervention, then patients, payers, employers, and health systems uh, should all be aligned to make sure patients go that direction first line. Yeah, I was even thinking that the insurance company might want to pay for the taxi ride over to the office because they would you, save you, so much you make, money. You make a joke. I'll tell you that it is not uncommon in our VBID world uh, to have what we would call these uh, greater than zero incentives. Uh, we have many large employers that you might know that are now paying individuals to quit smoking and to engage themselves in weight loss programs. Uh, we have uh, other health plans that pay uh, women of expecting a child to, to receive prenatal care and take their vitamins. So uh, I love the fact that you brought it up and you think, oh, that might seem uh, 22nd century, but we have several examples now of situations where patients are actually being paid uh, yeah. to do the right thing. You can imagine there's some uh, political, moral, ethical equity issues raised with that, but in those situations that you and I know where getting people to do the right thing medically will also save money, I think most economists would say it's probably worthwhile to put a little extra target gift card or other type incentive to get them to do what we think they should be doing already. Well, you and I are more in alignment than you think. I mean, I don't say it jokingly. I, I think uh, the term negative copay would be, uh, you know, if, if the co Well, basically, what we're saying here is that we believe in the physics of human behavior. We believe in economics. We believe that incentives whether they be on the doctor or the patients, drive people's behavior. So that if you're putting on copays that discourage people to have valuable medical care that saves money, you're, you're doing things backwards. And that's why most of our audiences now are not clinicians. Uh, they're the well-informed audiences that you have, and it's the people who pay the bills. Again, if you go back to Insurance 101, uh, the reasons for copayments, coinsurance, or anything along those lines in terms of patients paying additional out-of-pocket to their premium is to discourage them from doing things that you don't want them to buy. So under no circumstances should that be the case for a severe asthmatic and a long-acting asthma, asthma, long asthma inhaler. Under no case uh, should that be the situation for individuals to get the necessary medications to control their seizures or to quit smoking, or to, to see a, a necessary subspecialist uh, in your field and others that has an expertise that will lead to better outcomes. We strongly believe in cost sharing, that being co-payments and deductibles, Steve, but we want cost sharing to be applied for the things that we may not want people to buy. And uh, we were extraordinarily pleased to see that the inclusion of value-based insurance design in the health care for law was in fact the elimination of patient co-payments and cost sharing uh, for the highest value preventive services as determined by the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force. So soon to be the law of the land, if you're over 50, you get colorectal cancer screening for free. If you need screening for high blood pressure, obesity, smoking cessation, depression, all of these services are mandated by law to be free. And uh, while our very first step we're happy about is this uh, codification of VBID in the preventive world, we're working very hard uh, with people in the private sector to understand that prevention's great, but we also need to apply these principles to the chronic diseases, which, as you well know, make up about 80% of our medical spend, as opposed to the 1% to 2% of our medical spend that goes to prevention. 
on that prevention side, one of our recent guests was saying how difficult it is to take well people and make them better compared to taking well people and actually making them sicker. Um, he focused on prostate uh, uh, antigen screening, but you mentioned mammography earlier, and I got the sense the U.S. Preventive, uh, what was it, Health right. uh, Task, Task Force, Force uh, they, they didn't find that mammography, at least in many women, is all that um, is all that great a value. Yeah, I, I try to stay away as, as from specific interventions that are, are controversial. Uh, because, again, as you know as a clinician and uh, maybe you know as a, as a family member of a patient, uh, we still call it the practice of medicine for a reason. But, uh, again, I think many of these preventive services have been studied in much greater detail uh, than we are uh, dealing with now, whether it be in dermatology or internal medicine or, or any uh, other subspecialty. But I think that uh, that is why in our earliest implementation of, say, the first 50 or so value-based insurance design programs, we've tried to uh, incentivize those what we call low-lying fruit interventions, where uh, national organizations of, uh, of physicians, of health systems, of pharmacists, patient advocates understand that there's very little controversy over things like uh, diabetic eye exams and uh, certain medications after heart attacks and, and, and certain approaches to patients uh, with emphysema or depression. And uh, those are the areas where uh, most of the VBID plans are put into place. We're very pleased to show that although not the panacea to the re reason why patients don't do what we ask them to do, Steve, we have seen uh, clinically meaningful increases in utilization and also uh, early studies would suggest that the uh, financial returns of these investments seem to be as good or better than what we're paying, uh, what we're getting for our money right now in a non-clinically nuanced system. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with Dr. Mark Fendrick, professor in the Division of General Medicine in the Department of Internal Medicine and the Department of Health Management and Policy at the University of Michigan, and he's co-director of University of Michigan's Center for Value-Based Insurance Design. Mark, you know, I got the sense that the uh, original sin that's caused our health care cost problem is just insurance in general, that when you remove the patient from the decision um, about how much they're going to spend on themselves and, and make somebody else pay for it, then immediately the patient is like, well, I don't care how much it costs. Right. You know, I just want the best possible. And so you're left with a world where either you have to put some sort of financial incentives back on the patient or you pay unlimited amount of money for health or right. somebody rations the health care that people get. Well, and Steve, my, given the many hats you wear, you're, uh, you're very enlightened in your thinking for those of us clinicians, the few clinicians that are in the healthcare policy reform space. And, and I have to tell you that the, the task that uh, the private and public sectors have is, is quite daunting, which is why we've tried to take on uh, something intuitive, something feasible, something that patients and clinicians like uh, that appear to be impacting favorably on both both the uh, clinical and economic bottom line. This term uh, of potential overuse that you, has been referred to for decades is something called moral hazard, uh, that being that people who don't have to pay the full price for something is likely uh, to overuse it. But to go back to some of my initial comments is that if you look at your health plan or I look at my health plan, 
there is no distinction in terms of the amount of money I pay out of pocket uh, regarding the things I probably should be doing to improve my health and the things I shouldn't be doing. Uh, we are not, uh, again, suggesting that value-based insurance design or VBID is a panacea, but what we seem to be getting a lot of traction on is getting people to understand that you shouldn't pay the same out-of-pocket for a drug that'll save your life as opposed to one that'll make your hair grow back, or that you shouldn't pay the same out-of-pocket uh, to see a subspecialist that your uh, primary care provider clearly absolutely needs because his uh, extent of knowledge has been reached, uh, in addition to you, the patient, demanding to see a specialist when the primary care doctor comp uh, feels completely comfortable in managing a relatively uh, not severe condition. So what we are doing is applying the multi-billion dollar clinical research enterprise in terms of what works and what doesn't in a relative way. This is not the United Kingdom where it's covered or not. We're just, in fact, this, instead of everything, everything costs $25, we're having the things that you beg your patients to do cost 10 or less, and the things that you may think are unproven by the evidence or the patients demanding it because they saw it on TV or there's a lower-cost alternative, like you said, in the treatment of psoriasis, and making people a little pay more for those things. So we're, really what we're doing is going from averages to this clinically sensitive to design, and we strongly believe that this redistribution of healthcare dollars will lead to much more health at the exact same amount of money we're spending now, which is ultimately the goal of just about every stakeholder we've talked to. One of the um, advantages of high deductible plans is that they encourage people to, to make thoughtful decisions. But it seems like those kind of plans might have the worst effects on people using preventive care, potentially. So... Can you marry the idea of value-based insurance with a high deductible plan so that you have a high deductible, but for those things that have been proven to save money, for example, diabetic eye exams, if that's been proven or if, you know, taking a beta blocker after a heart attack has been proven, that you pay people, you know, as part of the insurance plan to take those medications? Well, you are uh, so right on. And, and uh, Mike Chernew, the co-originator of the VBID concept of myself, uh, wrote an article about a VBID CDHP or consumer-directed health plan hybrid now going on five years ago. As I mentioned earlier, I think cost-sharing, I think the idea of uh, patient autonomy and, and requiring patients to get information on cost and quality is a very good one. But you, instead of me, said well, our biggest concern about leaving it up to Americans to make their own decisions about their medical spending because uh, our own research and others have shown quite clearly uh, that Americans are not currently spending their money wisely on health care at all. As cost-sharing has gone up, like in these high-deductible health plans, Steve, people have not only stopped uh, buying their mammographies, colonoscopies, they've stopped managing their diabetes and depression and HIV and every other condition. They've stopped going to doctors and specialists. And while costs go down, uh, the reason why we went to medical school, that being to improve the health of our clients, uh, has gone down as well. We are trying to marry business principles, right, economic incentives, behavioral economics, which won a Nobel Prize, uh, with what we know about what works and what doesn't work. And this VBID, uh, CDHP, or high deductible hybrid, I think is a perfect way to marry uh, the potential problems in making people spend their own money and they don't do these high value things but also getting them to think twice or thrice, th 
price using economic disincentives or others to buy the things that they really don't need. The last thing I'll say before you jump in is that a major part of the success of this initiative, of course, is tying this to physician reimbursement that, uh, as you well know, uh, sometimes doctors are begging patients to do things and their health plans don't cover them at all. We'd like to see a complete alignment to physicians doing the things that they should do in terms of producing health, having the health plan particularly aligned with those high-value services, and then for the first time ever, uh, we'll see what I like to call a, a, a stream of workflow where everything from the doctor and the patient and health plan point of view is easy and going downhill. As you well know, in these days of health care transformations and, and managed care, many of the things that we do as clinicians and our patients have to do is going uphill against uh, benefit design, red tape, cost sharing, other types of interventions that make it hard for us to do what we really think is best for the patient in this. I realize it might be a pie-in-the-sky view for me, but in, in the transformed system that I like to see, physicians will be paid more for doing the things that produce the most health for the money, and patients will have no barriers to get those same services. Can you give me a, a concrete example of, of how you see these incentives working on physicians? Well, I, I think that you now know that, uh, unfortunately, uh, physicians are paid by volume as opposed to value, and they're paid by uh, technical expertise as opposed to the health outcomes that they achieve. I'll go back uh, to an example uh, that I like to talk about, is that being the use of, of percutaneous uh, coronary interventions or stents in patients uh, with stable angina who have not been adequately treated with medications. Uh, in the setting of an acute heart attack, I, I think it's very important for you and your listeners to know that immediate stent placement is one of the most valuable things that we can do in medicine, and we have worked in many settings with many stakeholders to do whatever we can to reduce the underuse of immediate interventions in people with acute heart attacks. However, the same cardiologist with the same cath lab and the same stent, putting the stent in a patient who has uh, mild to moderate angina, who is not at risk for uh, having a heart attack immediately and has not been treated uh, with adequate medications, now several studies have shown uh, that the stent implant versus the medication use is very close in terms of the outcomes they achieve, but at the same time, the costs of the two different paths are widely disparate. So if we could somehow incent uh, physicians to maybe do less stenting and do more medicine prescribing or do more phototherapy as opposed to biologics in psoriasis, uh, we will have similar or better outcomes uh, with a much lower cost burden. And again, uh, we are working uh, on the demand or patient engagement side, as you introduced this session with. But as you well know, the really uh, hot-button topics in healthcare reform is physician payment reform. And as we move more toward medical homes and accountable care organizations, which I'm sure uh, you have or will talk about on this program, to ultimately uh, wed payment reform and getting physicians paid a lot of money for the things that they should be doing, and removing barriers for patients to allow them to have access to these high-value services is the goal of our value-based insurance design initiative. I think the, the underlying concept here is kind of like gravity. You know, if you drop something, it's going to fall. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, gravity is a principle, and the idea that 
people's behavior is affected by their financial incentives, I think, is probably about, you know, equally established. Right. And, and, and there were people about five or six years ago when they, they rolled out these high deductible plans believed that Americans would be willing to spend any, anything in all of their disposable income on medical services, particularly ones they knew were the right thing to do. And, of course, with a, a shrinking economy and, and, and lack of true information on cost and quality, uh, the available evidence would suggest that there has been a systemic underutilization of the things that both our mothers would say uh, should be high value and unrestricted for, uh, for all of our patients. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. Um, any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I, I'll just say very quickly, it, it is my belief that it, it's the, the typical American who has private health insurance, who is paying more and more to that premium, uh, I believe that they can get a lot more health for the money they're spending if they would ask uh, their health insurance company about uh, the idea of uh, value-based insurance design. And you can learn an awful lot about what we're doing uh, on the ground in the policy world, in the private sector at VBID for value-based insurance design, vbidcenter.org, or uh, just do what my mother does and just Google the letters VBID, and it'll take you right to the University of Michigan Center. And uh, feel free to engage with us because we ultimately believe that it's going to be a grassroots effort that's going to bring this uh, concept uh, to full potential because it's, it's your listeners are the ones who will benefit most if they're able to choose these types of plans in the future. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. The efforts to bring down, to bend down the cost curve in our healthcare system can work if they take advantage of the fundamental determinant of cost and use of medical care, which are the incentives that um, are in the system. When we have a third-party insurer that pays fully for the cost of care, uh, there's no incentive for consumers to to try to um, conserve health care resources. Dr. Fendrick's group um, is, is approaching this one way. Others have approached the idea of, of doing this through making patients um, be directly responsible for their health care with health savings accounts. Here, Dr. Fendrick, recognizing the importance of incentives, has created a value-based insurance system that changes how much people pay depending on the value and of, of the services that are being provided. I, th- I think it's a very sensible approach, but it's probably just one step in in a larger uh, a larger problem that we face. Because um, while companies have saved millions of dollars uh, using value-based insurance to really get our Healthcare problem under control, which is probably more of a trillion-dollar healthcare um, uh, problem. Um, it's going to take more use of incentives in our system, and I think those can be designed um, rationally. Well, the other component of our healthcare problem is the quality of the care that we're getting. In 1999, the Institute of Medicine reported there were over 100,000 preventable deaths in American hospitals every year. What's being done to fix that, and are those measures helping at all? On our show next week, we'll be speaking to Dr. Christopher Landrigan, the author of a New England Journal medical article 
that says, so far, very little gain has been made towards improving those harms that are happening in hospitals. Uh, I think you'll find it interesting, if perhaps not a little bit depressing, that um, since 1999, so little has been achieved so far. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our program for today. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Our show today was brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Until next week, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.